I don't think we've met before, but I'm the referee on this field. Leinster could offer me five mil a year, I wouldn't go. <laughs> Robbie Robbie weekly. Then the first pass. Hello and welcome to the 42 Rugby Weekly. A very happy Christmas to you. Hope you and yours are keeping well. Gavin Casey here in my de facto studio at home in Cork and I'm joined as always to look back on a fascinating weekend of rugby and look ahead to a, another exciting one by Murray Kinsella of the 42.e. How are you Murray? I'm good. I'm in a new studio in Waterford but not much has changed really. Getting in the festive spirit and looking forward to some more brilliant rugby this weekend hopefully. 100% delighted to be joined as always as well by Bernard Jackman. Did you enjoy the weekend Bernard? How are you? Yeah, it was great. It was a, um, a much-needed lift from obviously what's been a, a poor enough or, or dour international campaign, but uh, some of the rugby we saw was was top class. And uh, yeah, looking forward to seeing more of the same this weekend in the games that happen. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we'll get on to that later. And before we do a little bit of housekeeping by the orders of the rugby WhatsApp group, uh, the members in there were having a heated debate last night about the pronunciation, or pronunciation rather, ironically, of a certain word. Uh, you guys are well qualified, I think, to give a definitive verdict on this. So if a player is making his or her first appearance for a club or a team, they're making their what, Murray? <laughs> debut. Debut. For me. Debut, man. Yeah, debut. Debut as well, Bernard. Yeah. Oh, yeah, I thought you were going to ask about micro aves, but yeah, that makes more sense. <laughs> <laughs> so the criticism in the group was leveled at the likes of Alan Quinlan, who allegedly opt for debut that's a kind of kiwi thing that's like justin marshall try on debut yeah I, nah i think debut's always been me but i do like some of the ki- kiwi pronunciations and commentary i love a bit of razzle dazzle and all that kind of stuff <laughs> <laughs> right let's look like look if you want to actually enjoy yourself go listen to potholes and penguins okay we don't do the crack thing here fun Puh. All right, go listen to Baz and Andrew. This is serious stuff. Uh, we've loads to look back on, obviously. Difficult not to start with the Ben Healy thing, I think, Murray, before we actually... Well, we're going to, by way of doing this, talk about some of the action, but this has been the story that has largely rolled on throughout the week. It's probably kept you a little bit busier than you might have anticipated, uh, but we're still talking about it. People are still annoyed. I probably have a rant or two in me as well, but just to get your thoughts on what's happened over the last couple of days, I know Conor Murray was addressing it probably most recently there. Yeah, it was Munster press conference day yesterday, and and still this was up for chat. Um, even after the match, directly afterwards, like Johan van Graan isn't generally someone who comes out with um, I don't know very strong statements or or has a go at opposition. But he was really riled up by this, really angry um, and unprompted. Really, kind of launched into saying how it was unacceptable. You know, I think I'd asked him about Ben Healy's performance off the bench just for, for starters, and he, and he went straight to this. So clearly he was irritated by it. Now, by yesterday, Stephen Larkin was trying to stress that they've moved on. Um, however, they underlined that, listen, this is a legal play. Obviously, roughing people up or pressuring people is, is all part of rugby, but they underlined that this was foul play. Now, they said they were happy with how the referee had dealt with it. Yellow card for Don Brandt, penalty for Marler. Um, but it was interesting that it kind of rumbled on and Danny Kerr obviously on, on his podcast on BBC had added to the, the a few flames to the fire with his comments that there was a bit of diving and rolling around by Munster again kind of Conor Murray just dismissed that he laughed it off as a bit of crack on a podcast um, as you said there um, but it has kind of rolled on it's been an interesting debate just to see where people fall in terms of you know are Munster overplaying this was it a dangerous bit of play 
And obviously Ben Healy's the most unfortunate one of all this. He's out for two to four weeks with a with a shoulder injury. Um, he underwent a scan this week, so really disappointing for him on an individual level. He's been obviously uh, playing really well and did really well off the bench, even carrying that shoulder injury uh, soon after coming on. And he's out now for the, for the next few weeks. He's not going to feature this weekend away to Clermont, a massive game where you would have imagined him coming off the bench. And then those Christmas interbros where he would have been hoping to, to push his name even further forward. So frustrating time definitely for him. Um, but Munster kind of seemed keen now at this stage to, to move on uh, from this <laughs> long-lasting debate, I suppose. Yeah, I think the most damning quote from Conor Murray was... There's so much talk in podcasts these days. Do you know what I mean? It's just lads chatting. <laughs> Difficult to come <laughs> well, back to that, to be totally honest. Uh, I don't know if we should move on from it, Bernard. Obviously, Munster want to, but it, as a sort of a more general conversation. So I was actually angry about it for a couple of days. And I know people who listen will be like, of course, you were. you're a Munster fan. And it really wasn't about that at all. It was more so the fact that Ben Healy is young. Um, and I know there can't be sort of different rules in place just to protect young players. Like if you play a, a young guy who maybe isn't quite as physically developed as some of his peers, that's on you. Uh, and it's a surefire way to get him up to speed eventually as well. But uh, what I mean is from the point of view of particularly Marler, like the Marler challenge bothered me more so actually than Don Brandt's. You're You are deliberately taking out a guy who you can see was in physical discomfort. Uh, you're about two seconds late. And you're surely aware that this is a kid in his early 20s who hasn't a pot to piss in yet, really. He hasn't made money in rugby yet. And you are setting back his career like by an undefinable period as you hit him, really. You know what I mean? Like, Or there's a chance you are, rather. Um, so to do that to a young player, having yourself made the sacrifices that he's currently making and knowing what it's about to, to get to where he is and get beyond that, I find it actually disgraceful. And I know Dombrand's uh, hit carried more force and was justifiably yellow carded. I thought Marler's was different. I thought it was more cynical and darker, to be totally honest. I thought he was compounding what had already been done to Healy, knowing he's a young guy, knowing he's hurt. And Conor Murray actually alluded to it as well. Like there's such a difference between pressurizing or targeting a guy and uh, sort of within the rules and doing it completely outside of the rules. Like this was just a flagrant breach of the laws. And I thought Marler's was an orange card or ideally like not not by the way the rules are now but in an ideal world I think that's more punishable than even what Don Brandt did because it was just so cynical um that's yeah. me getting some things off my chest yeah, yeah but I, I'm keen I, to get your thoughts no I, I would agree I think um if if that's the look at if that's the the way Quinns are dealing with um the issue then I think they've made a big mistake and I'll be shocked I mean if you're Paul Gustard um, or that coaching staff they have a huge issue with their discipline um, I mean both both were genuine uh, acts of foul play um, and you know for them for them as a team uh, they need to get that out of, of their game and it need to be hard on it. and if they if they've covered or papered over that by saying you know Munster were diving and rolling around and like soccer players well then I think there's going to be a big issue for them because that kind of stuff's going to get picked up all the time, and uh, um, and, and it's not on. And you know, I, I agree with you. I think there could have been two yellows. Um, you know, at least the referee did deal with it, and also the fact of the fact that Ben Healy's now missing whatever two to four weeks shows he wasn't play acting. He was he wasn't rolling around. And I, and I I would be very critical of teams who who buy penalties and, and fake injuries etc. But I don't think in this case. Um, it's it's valid at, at all so um 
yeah, so Marler and, and Don Brandt was idiotic, really, you know, uh, wasn't needed. And um, yeah, like they've got no, they've got no comeback. It's just, we don't want to see that in our game. Everybody look at, you know, we all want to get um, at players uh, and intimidate them and, and, and put pressure on them. But you have to stay um, within the laws and they have to have the ball. And um, in, in both cases, he, he didn't have it anymore. So um, I think from Quinn's point of view, you know, they were they were competitive. They showed up in fairness to them. But their discipline was was absolutely shocking. And, um, and you know, they've got, they can have no regrets around... Um, around those two incidents whatsoever. So, um, yeah, I, I'm sure Munster want to move on. I, I don't think they were they were play-acting. Um, I think it's been proven now, and, and, and it goes back on Quinns to sort themselves out. Mm. In Danny Kerr's defence, Murray, when he made those comments, I think it would have been recorded on a Monday morning before it emerged that Healy was actually injured. And there is an element of tongue-in-cheek as well. If you actually listen to it, uh, he's having a bit of crack about there being... Irish linesmen or touch judges and so on so I think you can kind of take that with a pinch of salt but again it's just more about the broader conversation here I know people will point towards uh, Jean Klein's hit on Mike Brown which Kerr did and again I think justifiably it's a late hit and Brown uh, suffers a head injury doesn't return to the field of play uh, I think Klein could do better to pull out of that I know it's easy to say watching a slow motion replay uh, and in real time it's a little bit different but even watching it in real time I have to say I think he, he kind of knows what he's doing he's leaving one in on him you know what I mean and uh, as much as there probably is an attempted rap there um, yeah it's a little bit cynical I think I, I, the difference to me in that is that there's a there's uh, a marked distinction between kind of leaving one in on somebody and it going badly wrong and actually just deliberately taking somebody out. <laughs> and again, I know people might point towards my being a monster fan. I'm open about that on this podcast and generally speaking anyway, but like, I really just think you have to take incidents on a case-by-case basis on their own individual merits. Not all eight hits are the same. And I thought that Quinn's too, and there was one on Conor Murray as well, uh, probably a little bit more borderline, were such... Uh, just flagrant acts of disregard for a fellow professional, you know, and again, I couldn't get over the idea, particularly with Marler's one again, just the fact that he's so experienced that you would even conceive of doing that to a young guy, you know, like, if it's within the rules and you Brian Lima somebody and you break their ribs, like, it's unfortunate for the guy, but that's the game, you know what I mean? But it's doing it outside of the rules that I can't wrap my head around and really can't make peace with it at all. Yeah, like I suppose no one's saints in this regard. Every rugby team, including Munster, definitely. And we discussed it recently enough, Gav, the Peter O'Mahony examples against Scarlets, wasn't it? Like no one's, you know, completely guilt-free in, in this kind of domain. Everyone goes out to ruffle feathers. That's probably underselling what, what people are doing. But to be physical and impose themselves and frustrate, I don't think really to injure, but to, to make an impact and, and put those kind of doubts in, in people's minds. For me, the, the worst one by a distance was the Dombrandt one. It was it was late. It was really dangerous. It was high. It was quite a high level of force, and he's just lucky it wasn't higher up the body because that could have caused obvious damage to to the head. Um, and, and there was no real wrap there. I thought that was you know somewhere even above a yellow card, not quite a red. So it was in between somewhere. Um, and the referee dealt with that one. The siding commissioner felt it wasn't worth a, a red, and 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 now we move on. There there are going to be more instances like that and, and I'm sure Munster will be involved in so and as you say Klein had a, had a late tackle as well um, that is that is part of it but whether referees are, are protecting players consistently enough is another question and, and you're right it, I don't think it really matters what age they are even but you've seen Johnny Sexton take repeated punishment like this he's a good example of someone 
who who has been in those instances many times. Um, and you're right, it's, you know, when players' physical welfare is such a big talking point at the moment, and then you have uh, examples like this where clearly the the players are, you know, the Harlequins players don't have that kind of duty of care. Well, then it is frustrating to watch, and and it's definitely not something we want to see. No, 100%. You mentioned the Sexton thing. That was happening over a number of years. We've seen people target Conor Murray during box kicks or after box kicks in the past, and that's only Irish people or Irish players, rather, being targeted. It's happened with the shoe on the other foot as well. You think of Peter Romani and Stuart Hogg. Uh, There's there's nothing here to suggest that it's some kind of uh, foreign influence that we're falling victim to. As you say, it's par for the course for the sport, but I found it concerning and annoying that people were using say these these examples of the likes of Bastereau hitting Sexton as a means of justifying what Quinns did to Ben Healy the the reality to me at least is that just because it's happened before doesn't mean it's okay now if anything the fact that it's been happening for a long time makes it even worse that it's still happening and that there is no kind of um safeguards or in place or yeah, I, I don't think it happens that often it. anymore I don't think it happens often anymore that's why we're probably chatting about it because it, it really stood out um, which is a good thing uh, and uh, like anyone watching that any any uh, coach watching that across um, across the Northern Hemisphere you know will be using those clips to, to, to hammer home the importance of, of discipline and uh, and staying within the laws so it probably won't happen again for for a while, I, I would say, you know, if I'd have been let go, then potentially, um, you know, you, you'd see maybe more of it. But I think it'll, I'd be shocked if there's any, well, I, yeah, I'd be surprised if there's, if there's more than one or one incident this weekend in, in, in the Champions Cup. So look, at, it's a harsh, harsh lesson for, uh, or harsh incident for, for Ben Healy, for Munster. Um, I think the ref did everything he probably could. Uh, you know, I agree with Murray. Dom, I think Don Burns is worse, but, you know, potentially could have given Marler a yellow, but um, he did deal with it. He punished the team, and you know Quinn's Quinn's left with nothing. So I, I just think we need to to move on now. Quinn's could have won, like Quinn's could have won that game yeah. very very easily without their lack of discipline. Fifteen pens. Yeah. Honestly, they could have won that game, and they should be like really cursing themselves for those slips. Big time. Yeah. To be clear, I, I agree that Don Brands was more dangerous. Uh, I meant when I said I think Marler's was worse, more circumstantially. Uh, because of Don Brandt's one. Like, I, I thought it was a, a late hit on top of a late hit and quite deliberate. We will move on talk about the actual game. As you say, Murray, Quinn's had every chance of winning the game. They left it behind them. Three yellow cards. Their entire back row uh, as individuals, starting back row, spent a bit of time in the bin. And strange game afterwards, actually, in how it was perceived by both fan bases, I think. Chatting to a friend of mine who's a Quinn's fan, definitely felt as though it was a missed opportunity for them chatting to a good few Monster fans they felt as though it was a missed opportunity for Monster to get a bonus point victory so it was one of those games that swung on a couple of hinge moments it went in Monster's favour and yet there were probably elements of what if about it afterwards now I personally felt as though it didn't really strike me as a game where Monster left a bonus point behind them that'll sound strange to people who watched the game saw them miss a couple of chances but like Maybe I'm conditioned by watching Munster over the last couple of years to not expect them to take every chance. They're, they're, they're not generally that clinical. So I kind of thought a four-pointer and, and a win in the manner it was was a relatively fair reflection of things in the end. Do you feel, Murray, as though Munster were or will regret not getting that extra point? Well, we wait to find out what happens with Pool B with these cancelled games. They may not. I think if every game 
had been played out as it as it was meant to be, then yeah, I think they possibly would have regretted not getting that extra point. The frustrating thing was that they, in the first quarter, looked really fluid and smooth in attack. You think of that passage leading up to the Mike Haley non-try. It was a brilliant bit of play, and what they've been working towards attacking-wise, you had Ty Byrne offloading Peter Omani, JJ Hanron throws in a nice kick pass to Coombs, there's a lovely tip on from Stander to James Cronin, run that excellent line, and they go back down the short side, really nice pass from Connor Murray, skipping out um, towards, towards Haley, but he just can't finish in the corner. They go back to penalty advantage, and, and at that stage, they had momentum, you think they're going to kick this into the corner, it's going to be a mall try. And obviously, if you score at that stage, the game is going to look very different. But unfortunately, JJ Hanron doesn't find touch and, and they just sl- miss that opportunity. Quinn's then grabbed the momentum and probably should have taken more from that. You think of Marcus Smith m- missing those two penalties that he would have backed himself to kick. They had the forward offload for, for the non-try for, for Dombrandt. That was a brilliant bit of attacking play uh, aside from that forward pass. So they probably should have taken more points from that. And then frustratingly for Munster, just after half time, when Quinn's were down to 14 players... They had a poor spell where you think of the crooked throw in the line out. Mike Haley does that forward offload. Uh, they give away the penalty and yellow card for Archer. So they couldn't grab that momentum back. So there were those moments earlier in the game where you think if they if they can nail those that, that kind of passage of time there, then things flow for them much easier, certainly after that, that Haley incident um, and not you know keeping the foot on the throat there. They had the frustrations for them. I don't think there was a massive glaring five-on-one overlap that they missed in, in that sense. But I think they would have been frustrated how they managed the the flow of the game and and feel they could have taken more from it. It was really difficult conditions, like really difficult. I was standing just before the match under the shelter of the sand, thankfully, and it was absolutely pissing down, really heavy, kind of sheeting in on an angle. And that happened a couple of times during the game as well. So obviously it was difficult. Um, And look, a win is a win in Europe. You've got to win your home games. But given the condensed nature of the, the tournament, I felt afterwards that it was a missed opportunity. Mm, yeah, Bernard, we spoke about it last week. We wondered would Munster revert to type or their former type, say, given that the conditions were forecast to be difficult. They didn't really. They probably did at times, but it was quite a varied approach, I think. Uh, they did well when they did try to play a little bit more expansively. As Murray says, a couple of opportunities go awry. Uh, to me, it's just difficult to countenance the idea that it is a missed opportunity when we're equally talking about a game in which Quinns could have won, if you know what I mean. like uh, I think it's... It's rare that you just get something fall so ideally for you that you come away with a bonus point victory against a team that might well have beaten you on another day. Yeah, absolutely. I look, I think this month's team are in transition, um, but they're on a they're on a good upward curve. Um, I don't think they'll win the Champions Cup this year. Um, I think that might be beyond them. But I, I think that the the way they're developing, they're developing a style of play that is more likely to lead them to success. Plus. They're blooding some really good young players who, for the first time, you know, uh, got the opportunity to go into Champions Cup level. Um, haven't done really well in Pro Fourteen, and that's that's what they needed to do. They do need to reinvigorate the squad. They obviously did that over the summer with with two world class players, but the reality was, I don't I don't think that was going to be enough. I think they needed to find four or five homegrown players, uh, to come in and and become international class and. You know, um, they look to be on that track. Plus, obviously, uh, evolving their their game plan. So, um, I I'd be if I was a monster fan, I'd be really pleased about where they're going. Now, okay, it might take a little bit longer than everyone wants. Everyone wants instant success, but I just didn't see before the competition them being, you know, genuine top four 
contenders. Um, but the way they're going, I would say, <clears throat> in a year's time, potentially they, they could be, which would be a, a, an outstanding uh, uh, achievement. I think they'll struggle to, to qualify um, uh, out, of, out into the knockout stages, potentially. Obviously, this weekend is huge for them. I agree with Murray. You know, Exeter... Um, you know what what happens to them and the and, and the points they do or don't get could could be crucial. But if you're a Munster fan, you gotta just appreciate that. You know, getting bonus points won't be a given as players get experience. And obviously with Snyman, Snyman injured as well, and and, and um, you know he 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 he's gonna be a huge factor for them. Um, but yeah, I I I, I just think if they could win their four games, that'd be phenomenal. Um, in this um and. Uh, and build and continue to develop that style of play and 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 give those guys uh, more experience, like of Casey and the Witcherleys and and Coombs etc. And Healy, you know, tie him down. That's going to be uh, it's going to be in it. That, that's probably the biggest task you'd probably want from from the from the board now is to try and convince him to stay. Mm, Agent Kinsella is conspiring against Monster there, trying to <laughs> ship Healy over to Glasgow. Let, Murray, just to touch upon some of those young guys. I think it was uh, probably exciting for Munster fans to see the guys who came on uh, and Gavin Coombs indeed who started and scored to actually strut their stuff a little bit in a game of that magnitude at that level. We had seen them do it in the Pro 14 over the course of a number of weeks but of course there's going to be a question mark about making that step up. They seem to make it seamlessly. I thought the players who came on, halfbacks, etc. actually improved things a little bit for Munster. Not that they were better than the guys who started, but just at that juncture in the game, uh, it did feel as though maybe some of the momentum had been lost. It turned into a bit of a slugfest. Healy was outstanding, even allowing for his injury. Casey, we kind of know what he's about, like in terms of injecting that little bit of tempo and that kind of Napoleonic influence behind the breakdown. Uh, every one of them to a man, really, to a boy, sort of stood out in their own ways. I think it's a, a, a kind of a... I don't want to call it a turning point, that's a bit unfair, but uh, it did feel like a big moment for Munster to see a lot of these guys being able to take that step. Definitely. Like Craig Casey came on and did really well. You think of that lovely kick over the, the top of the ruck left-hand side was really feisty as always. I mean, I think his first involvement was to kind of get tangled up with the opposition scrum half on the ground and pointing at him and asking for a pen. And you, you love to see that. That energy was really infectious. And, and that is going to push Conor Murray, who was, I thought, he played well again when he when he started. Ben Healy, I think, made a case for, for actually starting this weekend if he hadn't got injured. Honestly, I th- thought he just looked composed. Obviously, the massive long-range penalty after getting smashed by Don Brandt was really impressive just in terms of resilience, I suppose, if that's the word, just to nail that penalty. He's got such a cannon boot. It was actually kind of frightening seeing that live and the velocity it travelled through the air at. They were obviously excellent in the, in the halfbacks. Josh Witcherly is one who probably has gone under the radar a little bit but he was excellent when he came on. He had a smashing tackle at one stage, really good technique. Obviously did well in the scrum as well, which is always your concern with younger props. Um, and he looked really good. As you say, Coombs, again, seeing him in the flesh and just the sheer size of the man, it, it was impressive. You don't you don't see a lot of young Irish back rows of that kind of bulk and power. Uh, he looked like a, one of the bigger figures amongst both packs, actually. And I was clearly loving all the niggle and getting involved there as well as showing his real power for that finish, for the, for the try. I mean, you're five metres out there, you've got three defenders and three big defenders in front of you and, and he just powered right through and stretched out the arm. It was a really good finish and he had a jackal turnover at one stage, maybe a questionable one, but showed his 
is array of, of qualities there, I suppose, and will only get better with, with that increasing exposure. So it is really exciting that we were waiting to find out how they do in, in a bigger game, as you say, and they, they grab their chances. There's certainly tougher tests ahead, and even this weekend will, will tell us a bit more, but I think the way they're tracking is really exciting for Munster, and there's a few more of them behind, you know. Ben Healy goes down injured, now you've got Jack Crowley and Jake Fannery really vying for a couple of minutes, or a couple of appearances over the Christmas period. Obviously, Thomas O'Hearn, we've seen him make his debut and, and has real potential as well. John Hodden, it's a guy who's on the injury list at the moment but there's another bunch of them just behind ready and waiting to take those chances let's talk about some of those tougher tests then bernard beginning this weekend clermont are in strange sort of form in a way i think when montpellier beat them away from montpellier's point of view clermont lost at home a couple of weeks ago you kind of look towards this fixture and thought no fans maybe the aura of invincibility uh, has eroded somewhat temporarily and then they do what they did to Bristol in a game we were chatting about on WhatsApp, which was just absolute insanity. And it feels as though Clermont in fourth in the top 14. They've won six of nine. Uh, they're coming into this in reasonable nick after all. Yeah, absolutely. And they're, 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 yeah, the, I think it was the worst case scenario for Bristol that they'd lost at home to uh, to Montpellier the week before. They came into that game um, very focused. Uh, I think they've got like 20-odd years of of European experience, Champions Cup experience. They've probably been, in some years, the best team in Europe um, for over those 20 years, but definitely a top four side. And Bristol probably just got that wake-up call of, of what the next level is like, and, and that's that's fine, and, and they'll um, they'll improve and they'll find, find their way. But the challenge for Claremont now is to, is to repeat that. And also, let's be honest, Munster won't be as... Um, as loose as Bristol were. I mean, um, in fairness to Pat Lamb, you know the DNA of his of his teams are all out attack, and and um, it suits Claremont. It suited Claremont that they're up against a team who just wanted to play. Um, whereas even though Munster are definitely evolving that game, um, the DNA of Munster has always been, um, you know, pretty good game management, uh, tough to get opportunities against. Um, you know, decent set piece, big pressure game, smart kicking game, etc. So, I don't expect it to be as uh, well. It won't, it won't be as free flowing um, as as the game in Ashton Gate, but uh, it's a huge task for Munster just the power and the, the speed um, that Claremont have across the across the pitch is um, is phenomenal, and um, you know Munster will do very well to uh, to shut that down. But yeah, can they win for sure? Yeah, they can. Um, but I, I would say I, I don't expect Claremont to be as good again, um, partly because I think there'll be a little bit of complacency and um, a little bit less pressure than they than they faced. Um, but also, I don't think Munster will let them be as good. So I, I think it'll be a, a cracking game, fascinating game, but very different in terms of the, the content. That's brilliant analysis of that match last weekend, Bert, because I had the same. I didn't see it live, unfortunately, and I was watching it back, you know, kind of rub my hands together. This is going to be brilliant. But I actually didn't enjoy all that much. I didn't think the quality of it was right up there. As you say, there was they they allowed Claremont to play it quite a, quite a bit. There were some really poor defensive bits. It was probably one of the reasons why the weekend was so entertaining, though. It's not really test rugby, you know. In fact, the Munster Quinns match, Danny Kerr said he f- he felt like he was playing a test match. It was more of that, which maybe wasn't as exciting for fans. But I, I do agree with you that Munster won't make it as easy as, as Bristol did at times with frustrating errors in defence, just lack of connection and some of the scores were, were all too easy. It is still a daunting task but I think 
Munster will be able to, to push them a little bit harder. Well, we know what Munster are going to do here. And it'll be similar to what they tried to do early against Racing in the pool stages away last year. And you're hoping as well that somebody like Andrew Conway can produce a little bit of X Factor or just a, a breakaway try. So we actually know exactly what Munster are going to do. Clermont know what Munster are going to do. But are there more nuanced areas in which Munster can actually exploit a couple of frailties in Clermont and vice versa? Where do you expect Munster to, to struggle, especially this weekend, Murray? Well, one of the really interesting developments in, in Munster's attack has been the different kind of shape that we've finally seen from, from Stephen Larkin's attack. They're using a lot of those kind of vertical stacks coming around the corner from, from rucks and, and you're seeing a decoy runner close into the ruck with another out the back and often a third forward for either a tip-in pass or sometimes outside as well. There's some really interesting little shapes happening there. It wasn't f- totally smooth last weekend, as you would expect with, with guys coming back into the, the mix from Ireland camp. And it really hasn't been completely smooth at, at any stage, but it's interesting to see them throwing those different challenges. And, and you can imagine some of the, the bigger Claremont forwards maybe biting on some of those decoys and, and opening up little shoulders for, for Munster forwards to go into and, and potentially use their, their handling ability a bit more. So that's exciting for them, definitely. There was decent variety to their attacking game as well, as we saw last weekend with, with some of the kick passing. Obviously, that went away later on in the game as it became more of a, a battle. But I think it is exciting for them to have those I suppose question marks in in defenders' uh, minds as they as they go to to make tackles. You know, it's less obvious who's getting the ball. I think as Munster come around the corner now, and that's a really positive development. Yeah, uh, will we do predictions now and move on to the other games? Uh, Bernard, how do you see it going? Um, I think Claremont will win, um, but Munster might get a, a losing bonus. Murray, yeah, I'm, I think the same. I think Claremont will win four or five points. Um, your predictions weren't too bad I think last week Gav. Yeah, they weren't great they weren't great I'm predicting uh, I should really predict Dublin will beat Mayo this weekend and <laughs> give the men for the West a chance just, just get a just get a, a settler down yeah something like that just a, a goal off your bum just easy, easy, win. easy into it yeah so Dublin Dublin to beat Mayo <laughs> for Gav. yeah tap in absolute tap in <laughs> Uh, congratulations to Mayo. Uh, so there was a, a distinctly French influence to, well, what went on over last weekend as far as it related to the Irish provinces and obviously this weekend as well. But uh, look, not not quite as fortunate really for Connacht and Ulster uh, away to Racing and at home to Toulouse respectively. I want to start with Ulster and we'll look ahead to Gloucester as well for them in doing so. But uh both of you predicted that Toulouse would beat Ulster. That's where I was a little bit off. I think I had Ulster by a score. I think I went Ulster as well. Think. I'll put my hand up. I think I went Ulster. Oh, did yeah. you? Look, no point in crying over spilt milk either. But uh, I, I I, have to say, as much as it was apparent to me that Toulouse were and are a better team than Ulster watching that match, it did feel like that did definitely did feel like one that got away for Ulster to me. Uh, it probably swung to be honest, on that moment where Stockdale is penalised for an illegal fend, which he's a little bit unfortunate with, uh, to lose go down the other end and score at a time in which Ulster were looking to kind of rubber stamp their contextual dominance within that couple of minutes. So uh, an absolute feckin' dose, really, for Dan McFarland, Bernard, in the sense that so much of it was going right for them. It looked as though they had the capability and capacity to win the game. And then it just gets taken away from them. Rug gets pulled from under them a little bit. And now you're playing catch-up for the rest of the tournament. Yeah, and I think it's probably the issue that we saw with Ireland against France. And, and um, you know, we might see, unfortunately, um, uh, you know, in the Munster-Claremont game. Uh, and 
definitely Ulster felt it was just this this individual brilliant. So a lot of what Ulster did is very uh it's very team team organized so um you know and unit organized so their mall was very effective um you know so really well drilled technically very good and punished to lose when you know when they kicked to the corner for i think it was two tries um some of their attacking play their obviously strike play for the madigan try was you know well put together well executed technically very good tactically very good and the challenge is you know and i spoke to someone yesterday he said to me oh ulster ulster would have won only for Kobe, you know what I mean, but uh, he's in their team, you know what I mean, and you have to, you have to, and, and likewise when France beat Ireland, like Fiku had a had a had a class game, Dupont had a class game, and um, that's the challenge. It's 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 being able to overcome uh, and stop their X factor players. You have to take that into account, or else uh, or else you won't win. And uh, unless they don't fire, um, and I think Toulouse didn't really fire um, as a team as such, uh, but they're they're. World class players, Dupont uh, and Kobe, um, you know, had moments of magic which which helped them win the game, and that's that's the challenge, and and, uh, and probably it's a factor in in Ireland at the moment, that, like that we we have really good teams, but we're just maybe not finding those players who are, who are basically winning the game um, out of nothing, you know, and 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 having those magical moments, and uh, unfortunately for Ulster, yeah, I think to lose they allowed to lose to. Um, those players to have have the opportunity, and I think when they look back at it, I mean, you know, Dupont's try is phenomenal, but um, you know, it it could have been stopped. Uh, so uh, the Kobe first try, you know, it could have been stopped, but if it is, it is pretty hard to stop, and it's a it's a brilliant brilliant kick and chase. Uh, you know, the second try, I mean, if you, if Matthew Ray looks at that again or whatever, I mean, he knocks off early on. I mean, I would feel sorry for Stockdale in that situation. I think you got to send him back in. You got you, you can't let him beat you on the outside, so you gotta make him step back in, and you know that's where your your um your shadow defense or, or your push from the inside. And if you look at Matthew Ray, he just knocks off for four or five strides, and I mean that gives the gap for Kobe to to fall and get back up again. So I think there's areas that they could have could have done better. Um, was it full of commitment? It was. Was it technically a good performance? It was. But to beat those teams like Toulouse and, and Claremont and Racing um, I mean Racing realistically should have had that game put away uh, like I know it was very tight and, and Connacht kind of fought to the end and made it very difficult for them um, and I saw your piece Murray about collisions which was you know really smart uh, in terms of where they hit um, off the rook to help them win those collisions against a bigger side but realistically Teddy Tama you know he didn't have a good game um, and if he had it fired properly that, and obviously the intercept that game could have got away from Connacht very easily because of Racing's X factor. Um, so yeah, that's the, that's a the challenge for us uh, uh, this year to win a Champions Cup is to is to keep obviously developing that that team cohesion strategy, um, but being able to stop those X factor players we're coming up against, you know, scoring out of nothing. Um, and 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 that 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 was kind of my argument when Ireland were saying they should have won in France. Um, because of the possession we had and the amount of entries we had to the twenty-two, um, it's not it's not the KPI that you chase in scores, and uh, and unfortunately, somebody some of our opponents are are able to get those a little bit easier than we are at the moment. It's fascinating, Murray, isn't it, that we find ourselves in a situation wherein we have to nearly mitigate our against our own genetic shortcomings because that's that's what it comes down to in a, in a lot of ways that we don't have. Uh, we have loads and loads of really, really good players, but we don't have those 
players who can win a game on their own necessarily at that level certainly not a test level based on what we've seen over the last 18 months two years Chesney Colby speaking after that game says to the interviewer on BT Sport that sometimes he he doesn't even know how he does the things he does it's like his body takes over and like if he doesn't know what he's going to do then how the hell is Jacob Stockdale or anybody else for that matter expected to know what he's going to do you know what I mean like it's yeah that's difficult to mitigate against yeah, well, we have Jordan Armour. He never knows what he's going to do, and he's on the record as stating that his teammates don't know what he's going to do. He's got an unbelievable footwork. But we, I suppose in Ireland, we get so caught up in what Burns mentioned there. We get caught up in, let's be a really good team player. Let's be part of this system. Let's stick to this structure. We love it. We kind of crave it. Whereas someone like Jordan Armour, you would hope, is being encouraged to, you know, you see something, just go for it. Back yourself. We saw Robbie Henshaw score a wonder try over in Paris very recently in that same game Bernard mentioned there obviously France clocked off there but like Robbie Henshaw has that in his armory at times to do but you know he's probably so focused on doing his role as the 12 or the 13 being part of that team structure Um, and you don't want to lose that individuality it's so important to every single sport you have to have guys who are big players in big moments in the big games like they're the ones who decide it so often Um, and you would just hope that our I suppose our our love of structure and being good teammates and being there in, in the right position in, in attacking sense I'm talking about is, isn't is just kind of superseding the, the natural abilities guys have. Because I think we do have talented players, maybe not in the same abundance as, as, as elsewhere. As I say, genetics play a part of it. But like Larmer is a good example. He can do mad stuff, brilliant stuff and mad stuff. And, and you got to encourage that. <laughs> Where was the losing of the game for Ulster to your mind, Murray? Like I, I do, I do think it was down to those individuals. I agree with it. As we said in the Monday podcast, Toulouse had ten minutes of possession. They barely really had the ball all, all that much, and they were just able to be so clinical in those instances. I actually think Ulster played well. Obviously, they could have played better, but I think it was a good performance. And you know, they lost, so the temptation is to kind of criticize them and say they should have done a lot better here, here, and here. But I actually think it was a pretty good performance. And, and they nudged in front against a really good team several times, but just couldn't cling on to it. I don't think they'll be downhearted after that performance. And, you know, Obviously, it puts them on the back foot losing at home, as we said, in the circumstances of this competition. Really difficult. But I'd be surprised if they don't go to Gloucester and make up for that with another good performance and a result as well. So, yeah, it's, it's there's moments, as you say, that Stockdale thing like that. Um, a couple other ones down the 22 but even in the last play really they have that midfield scrum and they have the numerical advantage it's about five minutes to go and Larry really goes at the line and, and maybe if he slips it back to, to Stockdale they score in the left and they have a, a, a kind of remarkable home win so I think it was really really narrow margins in this game and, and I thought they played well Yeah I, I agree I don't think there's any, any shame in losing this to lose team um, I think they're they're contenders to win it. Um, for sure, they have that ability to go another level. Um, you know, Ulster had had the opportunity because of how hard they worked and, and, and how smart they were. They just weren't as as clinical on the night. I think, though, having said that, you know, if they played Toulouse again next week, would I back them? No, I wouldn't. I, I think Toulouse have have another 10% in them. Um, and, you know, they're, they'd be pretty happy to get out of there with, um, with all the points. And, uh, yeah... I, well, I think that's the, the the age profile. Obviously, you've guys like Joe Takori, who's 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 still going very strong at 37, 38. But in general, the age profile of that team um, is 
is really healthy and I, I think Toulouse will be back winning European Cups over the next two or three years. Sorry, just briefly, Kobe, Kobe's 26, so I always have to check it up to, to remind myself. Like We're still going to have another at least four or five years of him, so thank God for that. <laughs> He's a joy to watch. Yeah. Uh, Ulster could be impacted as well by this Exeter situation. We have to wait for that to play out. So everything to play for this weekend is by the home defeat, which might not be the case for other teams. Uh, do they go to Gloucester and win to your mind Bernard and just get back on track a little bit yeah I think they'll definitely win at Gloucester um, I thought, thought it was pretty poor how Gloucester approached the game you know people are critical of Northampton and Chris Boyd you know putting his hand up or, or saying after the game look we're going to send some youngsters to uh, to Leinster and effectively giving up the ghost after a home loss well Gloucester pretty much threw in the towel before they, they even played the game and you think back to how hard teams fight at the end of the season, which, you know, to try and make Europe. Um, and it's a big thing in a dressing room. Like I, I spent half of my career in the challenge cup, half of my career in the, in the champions cup. Um, and there's a massive difference in terms of the excitement in preseason when you're thinking around challenge cup or champions cup, it's a, it's a big thing for a player. And, you know, so some of that Gloucester squad, you know, fought hard to make the champions cup and, and effectively the, the team they put out against Leon, um, you know, in terms of it was look, it, they were blood and young players, and and they have reasons why, but I, I just thought it was um it was an error, and uh, they've lost now and they've nothing out of it. So, um, you know, this week they may pick a stronger team, but I think realistically, they don't have the same. It's very hard to to tell it, send, change the message, you know, a week later saying, oh, this this competition is so important to us when you've just shown us a lack of respect. So I would expect Ulster to. Uh, to go there and um, uh, and get a win for sure. Do you think it might have been different for you, Bernard, when you were playing though, culturally, in that the Champions Cup or European rugby is so coveted here versus, say, the dressing room in Gloucester now, whereby that might not be such a predominant aim for them towards the, the end of a season? Like, maybe they're not really yeah. looking ahead to the Champions Cup. Yeah, look, obviously they, 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 uh, they probably don't believe they can win it, but if you're a player, if you, you know, if, if you're a player, whether you're experienced um or or young you want to be in the top top end of it you want to be playing against the claremonts the the bristols the leinsters um and, and testing yourself and um so i would say okay it's a big part of our psyche here in ireland but um you know having spent time in france uh and, and we were always a challenge cup team in, in in grenoble and we had a different you know we had a lot of lads who played pro d2 etc um and it wasn't a big thing for them but certainly you know, when you go to Toulouse, you go to Claremont, you go to Racing, um, Toulon at the time, you know, took it very seriously. Um, I think Bordeaux will take it seriously. Um, you know, in those dressing rooms, it, it was a big deal. Uh, so if you've been around top 14 for, for four or five years as a player, I think you do want to play in the Champions Cup and, and you want that's part of your, you know, uh, your goals. Um, it was, as I said, it was different to the lads we had. We'd For, for them, having played Pro D2 for most of their career, top 14 was... Was their holy grail, but uh, I would say, I would say across England and France, no, the players would want to play Champions Cup, and even though they might know as this year with Gloucester they weren't going to win it, uh, they still want to test yourself. Mm-hmm. You'd imagine Gloucester will do something similar this weekend, Murray, as Bernard says. There's no point in changing tack now. With that in mind, as much as their youngsters and experimental team will likely put up a fight, should Ulster be going over looking for four tries here and and really reignite their campaign? Definitely, definitely. That has to be the target. And and you're under pressure straight away when you lose at home. So I think they have to go all out for that. Wouldn't be surprised, as has been their policy generally, to kick into the corner with pen chances and, and back themselves for tries, defo. Uh, Ulster, so for you, do they get the maximum, Murray? 
Yeah, I think so. Yeah, me too. Perfect. We did touch upon Connacht and we'll get into it now. Uh, definitely was a game that they did well to stay in or rather Racing kind of botched their opportunities to put Connacht away. But is it the type of a game, Bernard, where even from the Connacht perspective, they'll probably feel as though it is a missed opportunity for them. They'll be able to take an awful lot from it in that they went there <laughs> they lost by four against one of the best teams in the world ultimately you know <laughs> they weren't a million miles off they have racing as well at home to come um like it, could it be potentially one of those good defeats or will it be more of a, oh, a feeling but, of what without a doubt, it's a huge no i think it's a it's a it's a huge uh positive for them um and you know the the review on monday there will be so many good um examples of of what any friends you know speaks about about um you know showing the culture you have by how hard you work for each other how you back each other up how they scrambled um how they st- stayed in the fight i mean and some of the quality play they they, they played and, and their attacking variation which which asks questions of asking i mean um i i think look at the end they could have maybe snuck a win uh, they weren't weren't far away and and rassing rassing had, had looked to be really in a little bit of shock in the last 10 minutes and you know maybe they could have, they could have snuck a win but i do think racing have another gear as well um and as i said i think they could have, the game could have got out of hand for them but this week against bristol is going to be fascinating for them uh pat lamb coming back john muldoon coming back conor mcphillips coming back um two teams who like to play um Connor need to win you know uh bristol need to win um yeah, I think it'll be it'll be a cracker match. That, that that could be the game of the weekend. Even though neither team might end up qualifying, that could be the game the game of the weekend to watch. We're saying that about Connacht every week. I feel it's just another beautiful stylistic matchup to use the boxing parlance, and it's great to see so many familiar faces coming back to Galway as well. Just to focus on the Racing game, Murray, before we start looking ahead to Bristol. Um, that's actually what I was trying to ask Bernard I kind of botched my own question there really but like given that they actually had an opportunity towards the end as much as they'll take great pride and take so many positive aspects of their game uh, from that performance when they were reviewing it is it one that would nearly niggle at you as well like you could have gone there and gotten a a provincial history signature kind of victory think of Toulouse all those years ago and those opportunities don't come around that often albeit for, for Connacht and Andy Friend they're planning on having more of them, so maybe it doesn't rankle as much. Yeah, I don't think it'll, it'll linger on, to be honest with them. I think if they're honest with themselves, they'll see those opportunities that Bernard's mentioned there. The, the Teddy Tama one off the Finn Russell diagonal kick where he's clean through and there's three lads on his inside and he just delays the pass and it goes forward. That's unbelievably good try-scoring opportunity and it would have seen them, I think, pull clear. That gave Connacht a chance and to be fair to them, they took it. The wooden try was an intercept off a of four, four on two, so again, a really good scoring opportunity they'll be realistic about that but they will take a lot of belief and satisfaction from coping and matching Racing in that power area I think it was really impressive I didn't expect that or anticipate it in any way not that scale but you know you have Ulton Delan running over lads you have Sammy Arlett bashing through Vakatawa you have the the young guys like Connor Oliver sorry he's what is he mid-20s now but a guy who's trying to establish himself really punchy off the bench then the younger lads like Keen Prendergast, Jack Ainger, Jordan Duggan coming off the bench and really stepping up physically and showing that they can really add that depth that we've spoken about so much around Connacht and their squad and, and guys in the, in the first choice team being pushed really hard. So all those things are really positive for them. I don't think it'll linger on. I think they'll, they'll take what w- went well there and drive on now. Their target was two out of four 
in terms of wins in the pool and that's a you know a realistic target in their minds and and a losing bonus point away to Racing is is pretty creditable when they were 20 point underdogs at one stage so um yeah loads to be positive about there for them and and particularly for me those individual performances we didn't know what the story was going to be with a lot of those guys but they are really impressive i just two guys came off the bench and i'm biased here because they're ex newbridge but uh you know duggan and prendergast i mean they weren't they weren't picked up by leinster um as in you know they missed out in leinster academy and and now suddenly They've gone to Connacht and you know they're coming off the bench in a in a Champions Cup game against against Racing and, and doing well. So it's um you know, a lot of teams will say, Oh, come and get game time here or whatever, but you know, Connacht actually do live that. You know, the nature of their squad and what they spend, they rely on those academy guys, development guys to to play an active role. And I think um it's it's phenomenal to be that competitive given guys their European debut, um, who maybe haven't been the cream of the crop in, in, in Leinster um, and then you, you get guys like John Porch who wasn't um, you know a Damien Delande or, or a RG Snyman type signing but he's coming in and just um, been so so impressive uh, every week and again that's down to you know Andy Friend's knowledge of of Australian rugby and, and, and being able to identify a player who has you know potential to improve and, and fits their system so I think um yeah, you know, I think the Connacht are, are you know, are, are doing a really good job with the resources they have. Yeah, the Prendergast one is interesting. He was playing 20s earlier on this year. And just briefly, Andy Friend said, he came off the pitch afterwards and he went up to one of the coaches and said, I'm not strong enough. And they said, well, you know, he looked quite physically capable. He said, I'm not strong enough yet. So he's already had that good experience and, and now he understands that he's got to push even harder. And, and he's got that opportunity there. It's, it's, it's brilliant to see. And this is probably what... I know we, we complain about News 4 a lot, but this is probably the kind of stuff you wanted to see those guys who miss out maybe in Leinster going and getting chances elsewhere. I think it's positive to see. I'm looking forward to watching that kind of Rocky-esque montage of him bulking up. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, it, it is it is important to stress as well here. Uh, you guys have, have kind of done it, I think, but I just want to reiterate it, that for the likes of Dogan and Prendergast, they're getting this opportunity with Connacht and there might be a wider perception that uh, because they slipped the net at Leinster that maybe they were... Well, they were deemed as being just about substandard. There were a couple of guys who were ahead of them and therefore they don't make it. That doesn't mean that they're not as good as the players who did come through. Like, Connacht have done a better job than anybody because they've had to. But the uh, the concept of talent ID isn't an exact science or it's not a foolproof science, rather. Like, provinces, even Leinster, get things wrong. And there's a chance that they might have they might have promoted the wrong guys in reality. So for Connacht fans, uh, to anybody who might be looking at these guys as nearly hand me downs, you know, think again. Like these are serious prospects, and we've spoken enough over the last six, eight, ten months about some of the young guys that Monster have coming through. While we were doing that, we were having a conversation, as Murray alludes to, about Connacht maybe lacking depth. They deserve credit now for all of a sudden, probably a little bit more under the radar, building a squad that looks capable of, of doing something special over the next few years. Yeah, 100%. And it's not an exact science. And Wooten's another example of someone who's who's now stepped up. And I mean, you would have no fear about him playing Champions Cup, um, you know, regularly for any of the, any of the provinces. And, and that's um, that's all part of it. It's about, but in fairness, like to Friend and, and Nigel Carlin and Eric, etc., you still need to identify the right people, um, you know, who missed slipped the net. It's not just a case of coming to Leinster and taking anybody. Um, you know, you need to have the right personality. I, I, I know Prendergast, uh, and he's he's very strong mentally as well. And um, 
you know, he's, he's someone who, who's likely to thrive in, in that situation. And, like, ironically, he could end up having two years in Connacht and end up playing, you know, twice the amount of games as the guy who got ahead of him in, in Leinster. And I know Leinster are brilliant at giving guys game time as well. It's not a criticism. It's just it's just the nature of the squad size. Um, and in two years' time, you know, the, the it's very difficult to judge where everybody would be in two years' time. You try and make it as... Um, as an exact decision-making process as you can, but certain people develop later, certain people thrive under pressure, um, and certain people suit a game plan better. So I, I just think it's it's great to see these young Irish players who obviously have talent in all the provinces. They're all give, starting to give them opportunities now. Ulster have been doing it over the last year and a half as well, and um, that's, what, that's what we want. We want to expand our player pool uh, and um, and the only way to do that sometimes is, is to is to blood some of those youngsters and see how high their um, their their level is. What are we looking at this weekend, so Murray? Some kind of fifty-five all draw in Galway. Uh, how do you how do you see it going? <laughs> that'll be fun. I can I can see that actually. I really can. Um, I I find this one difficult to call. Um, you know, two weeks ago I would have said Bristol come and, and win, but I really thought it was an encouraging performance from Connacht. Um, Listen, I'll back, him. I'll back them for an arrow in. Birch, would it be within Connacht's interests to try and keep this game tighter? I feel as though of the two teams, Connacht actually have a little bit more flexibility in how they might go about things. I think Bristol actually only know only one way under Lamb, and it's that way or the highway. It's often entertaining. They've fallen short, say, against Wasps in the Premiership last weekend in Europe. Whereas I think Connacht might have that little bit more um, in-game adaptability and an ability to probably narrow things a little bit, keep it tighter, and just keep themselves in a the game. Yeah, no, 100%. I don't, I don't think they need to go toe-to-toe with Bristol. Um, in fairness to Bristol, they're missing a couple of, of their real big X-Factor pay- players, um, Radraga, uh, Charles Piatau, etc. through injury. So, uh, But they're still trying to play the same type of game, and they're, and they're very good at it. Um, and Pat, I think, will come there and he'll want to show um, you know, how... He, his teams play great rugby, um, which is which is brilliant. And uh, but I think that Connacht probably don't want to get carried away and get caught in this game of sevens. Um, and I think you know the collision stuff that they were very good at against against Racing um, is probably the way to play against them. I think at first to Pat, Pat and Bristol will be looking at their D this week as well. Um, so I think that they'll shore that up. Um, they were pretty pretty soft uh, in in certain areas against. Uh, against Claremont but no I would say kind of a pragmatic approach um, without kicking the letter off it either <laughs> How do you think it'll go Bernard before yeah, we I look at Leinster? Connacht, actually. I think, I think Connacht uh, will get huge positives from that and um, yeah I, I think Connacht could, could sneak it Lovely Well stick with yourself to begin with on Leinster because I wanted to start with the front row in that game so Leo Cullen makes the decision obviously not to directly embed uh, the returning internationals or a number of them straight back into the starting 15 felt like a bit of a gamble maybe on paper going to France playing Montpellier and doing that but as it transpired particularly with the scrum it seemed as though the guys who got the nod uh, the sort of non-internationals if you like probably performed a little bit better I know Montpellier made their own changes in the front row as well later in the game but when Leinster scrum came under pressure at all it was probably in the last 20 minutes or half an hour so complete vindication by Cullen in selecting the team that he did select uh, another really impressive performance across the park but just wanted to start with those front row guys because 
we've been speaking about these international players for the last few weeks. So uh, for the likes of Dooley, for example, what a performance by him, not only in the scrum, but just at one point he was throwing no-look passes. Like he was taking the piss out of Montpellier, you know? Yeah, I think a brilliant selection by by Leo and Stewart. Uh, a gamble, a gamble that paid off massively. And, and um, the benefits of that decision to, to trust that front five, for example, um, and keep your internationals, you know, back, um, I think will will pay off over the course of the whole season because the squad will will see that you know Leon Stewart have faith in him and and, and uh, consistent performances that will be rewarded and that doesn't necessarily mean they have to start every week. I think they all know realistically deep down they're placing the pecking order, but they they just want to feel that they will get rewarded for for being um, for performing. So brilliant, uh, brilliant to see. I, I think. Look, it doesn't make sense how that front five did against Montpellier. Um, in terms of, no, it's it's brilliant, but it, it doesn't. It's not logical, which is which is what players need to do. They need to um, make sure things aren't logical because if they were, there'd never be shocks and and uh, um, we'd never be surprised. But I think you'd have to see it on another level. You'd have to see it again against another quality team to be really sure that they're international quality. You know, um, and that's not they've all look at. Uh, there's a lot there's internationals in there for sure um but it was just a phenomenally good performance by that by that pack um uh, but it, because it was so impressive it makes me wonder how switched on Montpellier were you know realistically that's uh and that's nothing against Leinster all Leinster can do is and those players can do is um is go out and, and do their jobs and and they were phenomenal but I I thought Montpellier would take it seriously um I I, I just because because of the quality they have in their squad, because they'd won the week before against Claremont, because, you know, Garbajosa has a history in this competition, because San Andre has a history in this competition. Um, but my eyes tell me that it wasn't a priority uh, for them. And that's that's the only thing I'll say. And that's like, I think Leo Leicester did what, exactly what it had to do. Get a bonus point away from home is, is phenomenal. Um, but I, I question when you look at the other French teams, uh, you know, who seem to be taken seriously, Bordeaux, you know, um, Bordeaux, Racing, Claremont, Toulouse. Uh, I just question a little bit whether Montpellier have have taken that off their list as their as their one of their priorities for this year. <laughs> I agree with that. And isn't it funny that we're now in the Champions Cup and we're still saying you know Leinster need a better match than this? Because no, I'm, I'm not having to go even yeah. with that. I just, it's funny yeah. like they like Montpellier didn't push them, and we wanted to see them putting a really demanding scenario and some of those players as well and they probably won't get against Northampton this week either so we'll get back to a, a quarter final or a semi-final and, and then they'll learn more <laughs> it's interesting I it felt as though Montpellier's performance was like a really concentrated uh, example or microcosm of their season as a whole in that they kind of blew hot and cold they were moody within the game a couple of times they got going they won a couple of jackal penalties uh, the players were really celebrating and, it, and and almost appearing as though they were trying to fire each other up as though to remind each other that it did matter even if it's not necessarily an overall priority you're on the pitch you want to beat this great team but Leinster would then wrestle back the momentum moments later with a penalty of their own or you know a turnover whatever uh, even a big hit like Leinster were just battering them physically and then Montpellier's heads would drop again and and you wind up with a game with the margin that we got um but let's let's I mean look as you say Bernard like you can't really take anything away from Leinster either so let's look at where they did, did well 
kind of everywhere to be fair but uh you know if we were to focus on the positives for uh Cullen for Lancaster they went there they got a job done with a kind of half experimental team outside of the front five Bernard who were you impressed by it did feel as though for example Ross Byrne who had a difficult outing with Ireland uh, last day out kind of rediscovered that little bit more uh, of a sense of flow in what he was doing. He seemed a little bit more relaxed, maybe understandably, given it is a different kind of a, a level of pressure he was under. Yeah, for sure. And I think McGrath was good, very lively, um, which is really pleasing to see. He's bounced back from that disappointment of of obviously losing his place in the Irish squad to be really consistent for Leinster and is looking dangerous ball in hand as well. I just think the Leinster, the backs, their passing is, is so crisp um, and... You know, they just get that ball out in front and, and are able to <clears throat> turn 4v3s and 3v2s into into big gain line advantages. And I, I really liked the, the block, I think it was the third quarter, where they knew they could get to wit quite easily. They were accurate. They had to be accurate to get there, but they got there. And then they just put those little attacking kicks in. And, and eventually, you know, Montpellier just cracked again. It's kind of like what they were doing at the, at the return from, uh, from lockdown and just pressurizing teams and, and they knew that the they trusted eventually then the, the, the tries will come rather than over chasing it so um they're very smart tactically um their their technique their timing on, on the pass is is the best in the, of any of the Irish provinces to be honest um and yeah they're they're yeah they look just look really well drilled really hungry really consistent um and yeah they're they're obviously like they're they're the big contenders for it. It's just the challenge is going to be, as Murray said, is getting battle hardened against uh, teams where you're you're in a like even Racing, Racing would probably have got more from that Connacht game than Leinster got out of Montpellier, which uh, they both ended up with five points. Okay, Racing were at home, but I think you know Prendergast and and, and the coaches in Racing will um, will have a have an example of a game where they they didn't function as well as they can, but got five points and and. Um, would be better from it. Thought the back row obviously was impressive. Murray, look again everywhere for Leinster was impressive. Van der Fleer was very good with ball in hand. Actually, um, made a couple of explosive carries. Reese Rolock though, man of the match, and it's an interesting one. That the, the talk has kind of resurfaced about Rolock and his potential international future or lack thereof. He's kind of always deemed unlucky when he doesn't quite make the final squads uh, under both Schmidt and Farrell. But I was going to ask you, uh, as well as he's playing at the moment, on the basis that he does seem to be more so a nearly man under successive coaching staffs now, could it be the case that Schmidt and Farrell both had enough of a look at him, know what he's about, know he's a very good player, but have just decided that he's not quite as good as some of the players that they have at their disposal. Uh, He's 30 years old. He's playing really well, but probably won't improve greatly. And they've seen more of him than we ever will in terms of like being kind of on-field observers during the week and so on. And then maybe, oh, like maybe the ship has sailed for him to an extent. I don't know. I think it's really hard to ignore. And if he keeps this up, certainly in these European games, I absolutely see him back in that Six Nations squad. Yeah, you're right. He, he's he been unlucky with selection and there, maybe there's more to it. It's, it's hard to understand. We haven't really got a good explanation of it. I mean, he was at the World Cup last year and was impressive when he got those opportunities, even in defeat in, in the in the in the last game. And he's just been excellent this season. He looks physically at his best. I've seen him for a while. I may, I, he's maybe lost a little bit of bulk, but he looks a lot more mobile dynamic he's obviously seriously motivated at the moment and like he's only 30 in my eyes you know 
He's captain yeah. Ireland before. Yeah. He's highly experienced. Ireland's captain at the moment is 35, like so he's got five years on him. I don't see any reason why he can't return to the fold. Even come the next World Cup, he's not really that old for, for a back row if he can keep himself in good nick. Um, and he's got loads to offer. You know, he's so physical and powerful and convincing around all those contact areas, especially against those big French teams. Even you think of that Saracens match for Leinster and you go, geez, a firing, fit-firing Reese Roddick would have been useful there. Ireland and Paris, those games I feel he always delivers in. And he's obviously a leader. He's extremely popular with his teammates in Leinster and Ireland. So he, he offers you that as well, that, that leadership aspect, which again, we've spoken about with Ireland, that maybe that's been missing at times. So there's a whole lot to like there. And I think his form last season, by his own admission, wasn't particularly outstanding. And, and Andy Farrell fed that back to him. And Reese Ruddock, by all accounts, said, yeah, you're right. But um, his form at the moment is outstanding. It was probably a little bit unfortunately timed for him. He had a niggle in the preseason with Leinster and he, he didn't feature in the kind of tail end of the last season but ever since then he's been excellent and, and if they were picking an Ireland squad today honestly I think he, he would be in it and, and should be in it based on his form so really pleasing for Leinster to have a guy like that firing again and like it's just ridiculous with Dan Levy coming back he was off the bench scores that try and, and you can see the delight for, from everyone he's really back in the mix Scott Penny wasn't even in the squad as you say Josh Vanderfleer underlined again how good he is at this level in particular, he's outstanding in, in terms of being more dynamic than a lot of guys. I thought he punched around the corner really well. The timing was run, which is actually something all the Irish teams did well, I felt. They came around the corner with a lot a lot more intent, uh, almost delaying their run so they can run onto the ball. It sounds so simple, but I thought it made a, a, a big impression across the course of the weekend with all the teams. Um, and Ruddock did that well as well. So definitely in the mix for me. Uh, so the reason why I was kind of playing devil's advocate with that question, Bernard, is because I feel as though, despite the fact, per his own admission, uh, Ruddock didn't feel as though he was in top form last year. He's been playing well for years, really. Uh, and it always seems to be him who's the guy who misses out. Like, he, he, the perception of it, if if you were only sort of casually following it, would be that he doesn't really get a fair crack of the whip. As Murray says, he was even impressive at the World Cup. And then he's sort of frozen out again. And I'm just wondering... What, what the reason for that is? It, maybe it's just bad luck. Yeah, look, I think he's, I think he's improved. I think he's better, better now than he has ever been. Um, and I agree with Murray. I think he, uh, if there's a squad being picked tomorrow, he'd be in it. And I do think as well, he has his areas of strength is where maybe we're lacking a little bit. Uh, so probably the game we played under Joe with, you know, we didn't need to be really, we didn't really need massively strong ball carriers because. We, we did it as a collective, you know, so we went to the rook in, in threes and fours. We went, you know, uh, very close to each other. There was no offloading. Didn't really matter if he got the extra yard. It was a case of just changing the point of contact and building a lot of phases. Um, whereas now the game is, guys with Reese Ruddock's profile are dominating. Um, it's, it's you know, Dombrand from Quinns, uh, he might be a little bit quicker, but he, that's his type of game. And, you know, he has a big influence on a lot of games. Reese Ruddock, um, with that physicality, with that strength, um, is having a big influence on games, and um, I, I I would love to see him get a run with with Ireland in the form he's in now, and just seeing you know can he become a a regular part of that Irish team, and and you you know uh, just because of his age, he's still young enough. He's had injuries, he's had dips in form. He's in a very competitive t- uh, provincial team where if you have a slip up at all, you mightn't see action for another four or five weeks, and 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 I think. You know, speaking to Josh Murphy a, a couple of weeks ago, 
he just felt that he was he, him personally was benefiting from just a consistent run of games. And Reese is getting a consistent run of games, maybe for the first time in a long time. Um, and uh, the, you know he has he he's in the form of his life, and I I, I certainly think that um, he's probably the form back row in in Irish rugby really over the last uh, since lockdown. The thing with the the Ireland thing as well is what have the coaches wanted from their back row players and. And it's probably seen as a Reese Roddick versus Peter Omani, but the Ireland coaches have wanted Peter Omani for all the stuff we always talk about with, with line out set piece, um, and and that balance of your back row is a, is a big thing. Andy Farrell's probably been finding his feet in a way over autumn with that, and, and tried a few different combinations. You know, he's had Connors in there, he's had Doris at six, and now it looks like Ireland's number eight. I think uh, moving forward, obviously Omani has played in the seven shirt in a slightly different role in the most recent game, as we saw, you know, doing different things that we hadn't seen from him for a long time. I still think that's slightly up in the air, even in Farrell's mind, um, but definitely Ruddock's going to be back in that mix if he keeps it going. Some of those things that Omani was doing recently, Ruddock can do as well, Murray. Like, just his assist for Frawley yeah. on that try. I was surprised, like, Leinster have an advantage, and maybe we're more accustomed to... Johnny Sexton when he's starting or even Byrne to an extent looking for a kick or a chip or a crossfield kick uh, when they have an advantage nearly off first phase with advantage but Luke McGrath goes down the blind side and I'm looking at it going now I was only watching it on TV obviously but I'm looking at it going like there's no space there like it's just it felt like a waste of an advantage and within like a phase or two Rook takes out two defenders pops it perfectly to Frawley and they're in and as Bernard says we probably don't have too many back rows who are capable of doing that actually requiring two tacklers therefore opening up space and also having the skills to be able to just pop that pass and wade it so perfectly yeah he's not a one-dimensional player by any means um, and he brings a lot defensively too in terms of those those collisions as well so he has a whole lot to his game one of the other things i think is worth underlining is what bernard mentioned about leinster's passing like they picked kieran frawley at 12 in a big game we all want to see that they picked jimmy bryan at fullback in a big game again we wanted to see how he go he's another guy who's played 10 12 in his, his youth, kind of even in school, I think he played 10 or 12 quite a bit. And he has that distribution quality, as we saw a couple of nice passes. And it's another thing that Ireland maybe can look at is, is having a few more, natural is the wrong word, but a few more guys who are comfortable at being distributors who have really good passing skills. You saw obviously Harry Byrne when he came on as well. He threw a few lovely passes. Um, and Ross Byrne, to be fair as well, when he, as you say, when he was on, he did look more comfortable. He took the ball at defenders a little bit more you think of that chain of passes for the Van der Fleer try. Really nice work from, from Byrne and, and O'Brien at the back. Their moving off the ball was excellent. But it's really positive to see that Irish sides do have those skills, you know. It's obviously not Tess Roby there and, and the, the margins are, are tighter and there's less time in the ball in Tess Roby. I'm, I'm not suggesting that they can go and do that. But um, it is a nice model and I think, again, something that Ireland could look at. What is the margin of victory for Leinster this weekend, Bernard? It could get farcical, do you imagine? Yeah, I'd say 40 points. 40. I actually think that's that that conservative. <laughs> <laughs> what do you say? Uh, 70? <laughs> I think Leinster 58, Northampton 7. Wow. 51 points. Ah, oh, listen, that actually doesn't sound too unrealistic. No, it could happen. Yeah. It could happen. It's no, I'm being serious. And, like, and as you said about, about Gloucester going away to Lyon, as I said, Johan van Grand doesn't get too worked up about things generally, but he was pissed off about that after the match as well. He made several pointed comments about feeling your strongest team in the biggest competition and it's sad to see really isn't it straight away uh, I know it's a weird weird old season everyone's condensed in terms of their squad and loads of matches and stuff but you want to see the strongest teams and, and while it would be great to watch Lencer run in a few tries fingers crossed Northampton can, can make it a bit competitive 
Yeah, just to explain, uh, uh, there's another angle to this, which maybe people mightn't uh, be aware of, but the English teams, they get paid based on the percentage of EQP they have at the end of the season. So, for example, uh, if if it used to be the case with Newcastle where they had a lot of really strong foreign players in the Challenge Cup, they, they tried to play 23 All-English qualified um, in the Challenge Cup to get their numbers up and obviously then get back more money from, from the RFU. So if people are wondering, like, okay, well, why are Gloucester doing that? Um, you know, the coaches may be getting some pressure or it may be factored in um, their EQP percentages as well. So if they go 21 out of 23 English qualified against against Leon, um, that may give them a little bit of leeway later on the season to, to pick a team based on winning. So just... I'm not saying that's a genuine reason uh, or excuse, but I know, I know from experience that that has been factored into some selections I've made in the past. Always blame the Blazers and the Alakadoos. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Bean counters. That's yeah. fascinating, though. That's fascinating. It's something you don't consider when you're getting outraged yeah. by it. That is really interesting. Exactly, yeah. yeah so blame the, blame the accountant rather than the coach. <laughs> Madness. 1999 all over again. It's between the Irish and the French, it seems like. Gents, thanks a million as always. Murray, thank you. Cheers. Thanks, guys. Birch, thanks a million. Thank you to everybody at home as well. Murray will be back on Monday morning for the 42 members with Owen Tulin looking back over the weekend's action. But the podcast that comes out every Thursday, i.e. this one, will be on a, a little bit of a Christmas hiatus over the next couple of weeks just with the way the days fall. Uh, we're going to take a small bit of time off where we can. Uh, wishing you all the, the very best hope you have a lovely christmas where it all manageable uh hope you and yours stay safe stay well and we will certainly chat to you at the start of the new year so until then or until monday if you remember mind yourselves take it easy happy christmas and happy new year i don't think we've met before but i'm the referee on this field leinster could have me five mil a year i wouldn't go <laughs> <laughs> Robbie Robbie weekly. Little reverse pass. Oh, 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 oh.